Welcome to this week's edition of Two Men in the Middle, where two men in the Midwest pontificate about news, politics, pop culture, and current events. I am Brandon Kinnig. I'm Craig Huey. Craig, uh, let's get started with the bombshell that happened Monday. Again, this is one of those weeks where it felt like a eternity. But if you go all the way back to Monday, which feels like months ago, uh, Monday started off with a bang with the news that Tucker Carlson was being fired by Fox News. You know, when I first heard that, I kind of thought it was a joke. I, I thought you know somebody was just falling for a, a deep fake. I didn't think there was any possible way that Tucker Carlson could could get fired. So. It took a second to kind of realize this was actually happening. And I didn't really believe it until I saw um, the gal who does the, the middays, Harris Faulkner, do it on, on Fox and actually come out and address that, yes, Tucker Carlson had, had, been, had been fired. Did you, did you think this was real when you, when you first heard it? No, I think I first heard it via Twitter, and so I did not believe it. I had to fact check it in a couple of different places, and it was still surreal because it just was not, I think, a— moment that any of us saw coming. I mean, he was their top rated cable host with the most viewers pulling in 3 million nightly viewers and top talent. So it's just, there was no indication that that was going to happen, but it's interesting as of today, everybody's still arguing about what led to that. What is the factor or factors? And there seem to be a several different things that could have contributed and at the end of the day, we have to realize that uh, this is a corporation run by the Murdoch family, and they call the shots. And um, at, at the end of the day, if they are tired with somebody or find that they are too distracting or causing too much headache, yeah. heartache, um, or feel that they're going to be too much of a liability in the future, then that's uh, they're going to pull the plug. And I feel like that's what happened with Tucker. It was the accumulation of many different things that have happened. Uh, not least of which, obviously, I think the recent settlement played into that with the fact that um, if you look at Tucker's on-air content, I mean, it became more and more extreme and fringe to the point, too, where some of these specials that he was airing like the january 6th special where he yeah, just absolutely you know created a whole new storyline about the protesters being peaceful or uh the uh paranoia special about uh, um uh conservatives in america under attack or the the one about men having to tan their testicles like <laughs> you have all of these like these were not newsworthy in no, fact the, they were contradicted were by the news division news or division ignored. refused to air them yeah or give yeah. credits to them so I think you have to also factor that in as well, and uh, and and Murdoch is ninety two now. Like he 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 just he doesn't give a fuck. At no, this point. he can't. Yeah. So I'm always a follow the money guy when any of this stuff happens, and my first inclination was there is no way Fox would have hired would have fired Tucker Carlson because he was their cash cow, and I've been involved with running some companies on a small scale. And everybody has a category of employees that are just unmanageable. Coming from tech, we're we're all aware of the senior dev or somebody that's Mm -hmm. been there for 10 years, only person that knows the code, plays by their own set of rules. And as a manager, you just put them in that unmanaged category. You try to get as much out of them as you can, minimize their damage in the organization and roll forward. And I thought that that's where Tucker Carlson would was firmly placed, and he generated so much money for Fox that he could not be touched. After doing some digging around, that assumption may be completely false, and it has a, to do with a couple of things. One, 
cable news as a business has just deteriorated so much over the last 10 years that it, if you're bound to pay your host 25 or $30 million a year, it's going to be very difficult to make money on that individual show with, with that host. And as we dig into this, a couple of things with Tucker's show, just from a, a financial side, you know, number one, they weren't dealing with real blue chip ad- advertisers ever since 2020. Good point. Yeah. Their advertising base had deteriorated into for the Tucker Carlson show to my pillow and what they call action ads. These are 1-800 numbers to call. Mm-hmm. These are websites to visit. If you've ever watched the Fox Opinion, it's a lot of, hey, old people buy gold. I mean, that's just what I was going to say. The buy gold, there's a lot investment of com- security. Yes, there's a lot of commercials branded with battleships in them. <laughs> I mean, it's not extremely subtle what 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 they're doing. But Tucker, I think, got himself in this conundrum where I hear highest rated cable opinion show out there with three million viewers a year. I instantly equate that to he must be bringing in tens of millions of dollars in profit off of that show for for the Fox Corporation. Digging down through this a little bit, a lot of his advertisers had left. The advertisers that were there were people that were not paying premium premium dollar for, for their advertising. So Tucker Carlson's show may not have been producing the amount of revenue that I certainly thought kind of put him in this category where he was untouchable at the uh, at at the network. Right. And that's a good point. And I, I think that often gets overlooked or has in a lot of the media narratives about this. And then you add on the the fact that there's this outstanding lawsuit by this Abby uh, Grossberg. Booker slash Booker, producer, who, whatever yeah, they call her. Claims a hostile work environment, toxic comments that were said, uh, which – uh, Fox has access to all of this because they apparently yeah. kept an oppo file on all of their top hosts. Again, yeah. reminding them who pulls the strings, right? So a lot of these hosts think that, you know, they are, you know, the uh, personalities and that yeah. they kind of wield the power when in reality they don't. And Fox likes to remind them, you know, the, the corporate side of who actually runs yeah. things. So you had that from a liability angle and what else was out there. And then also just the fact that he was disparaging Fox News execs in some of these text message conversations. Uh, yes. I mean, at the end of the day, they don't like that. And I think there's been a recognition for a long time that Tucker had this uh, attitude that he was untouchable. And so there was a cockiness, yeah. you know, element of it. So Tucker pulls in a, about 3 million viewers uh, a night. And bi- they did this almost six years ago to the week with Bill O'Reilly when they fired Bill O'Reilly, who had the number right. one opinion show. Bill O'Reilly was bringing in about 3.7, 3.8 million viewers a night. So right off the bat, in six years, the highest rated opinion show already is down almost a million people in, in audience. That just shows how cable news in general has shrunk in general. And this week, BuzzFeed News stopped operating. Vice got gutted. Yeah. Um, uh, Nate, the guy, his last name just flew out of my head. Uh, 538. Oh, yeah. Nate uh, Cohn? No. no why can't we Cohn. think? Uh, we'll, we'll cover his name. It'll Nate, co- yeah. He, he, ABC let him go and basically ended the whole operation of them polls and, and political. The whole political side got shut down with Nate ABC. Silver. Nate Silver. Thank yeah. you. So. There's a lot happening with cable news right now, especially about making it profitable. And where Tucker's interesting is he built the large audience, but in the process of what he had to do to build it, the content he had to put out, the people he had to put on, he basically made himself toxic to all high-end advertisers. If you watch Fox News, 
Ford, Toyota, AT&T, IBM, these are not the people that advertise on those opinion shows. Right. They just don't see them as viable for the audience that they're trying to, to attract. So one of the things Fox News could have said is, well, well, shit, we've got the highest rated guy on TV in that, that slot. To get there, we've had to make all types of compromises as a company, as a management team, to let this dude run free and put on the people that after 2018, 2019, a hard turn to the right, he's putting on people that nobody else even on Fox will, will put on. So we put up with all of that. We, 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 we swallow all that, the fact that the guy's an absolute a-hole. We choke all of that down only to be at the end of the day realize we're not really making any money off of this. And I think that was definitely one of the, the pillars that, that drove that, that decision. If, if Fox News was making hundreds of millions or tens of million dollars in profit directly off of that show, things might have been different. Right. Fox, Fox News is definitely making money off of Tucker Carlson being an employee. In the Fox News Nation subscriptions and other things, he has other value outside of that show. But one of the things I think started becoming very clear with the just the changing landscape of cable news network, they weren't gonna that 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 the Tucker Carlson Tonight Show was never going to be a money printing press for Fox. No, there I, there was a quote from Rupert Murdoch that came out in the depositions of the Dominion um, hearings, <laughs> I, which I think, uh, uh, and and this is paraphrasing, was along the lines of. Um, we're not red, we're not blue, we're green. Yes. Meaning it's all about money at the Absolutely. end of the day. Absolutely. The, the other thing too is I've heard this a lot that Tucker Carlson was not part of the New York operation. He was based out of out of Maine. He actually and set up Florida. his own oh, yeah. studio in Maine because he has a big fan, compound up there. Yep. So he has a large um, estate in Florida, in South Florida, and yep. then one in Maine. Which it kind of begged the question. I wonder, are, are Fox News execs going to clear his main studio out? Like, well, how's that going to work? I'm assuming all that equipment has a big Fox sticker on right. it. Right. So they're going to have to collect send it people to collect point, it. Yeah. Unless he specifically negotiated for when I leave, I take all this equipment with me, which that would be kind of odd to do. But, yeah, I can't imagine but that. But from listening to Brian Steltzer gave a really good podcast with Charlie Sykes the other yes, day. Yes, I listened to that. And he yeah. basically said Fox News has developed three 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 pillars. There's the news organization, the opinion organization, and then there was Tucker. And Tucker had presented, had positioned himself completely separate from everybody else in the opinion organization. He wasn't on site with them. He didn't go to the same meetings, use the same producers. He was a completely separate entity within Fox. And he acted like it. I was going to say, even on his show, he positioned himself as outside of the yes. Fox network and programming to a degree that he would often say, like, I am not part of this media establishment. Correct. I'm going to tell He's you the truth else. regardless of what you hear on other yeah. shows. And he was at times even highly critical of the actual journalist on the network with yeah. him, sometimes very much in a public manner, um, as well as some of the other hosts. So he did set himself apart from the rest of the Fox universe, which you don't do. There, you know, there's a reason people like Hannity and some of the others are very uh, political, but they're not independent. They're also very corporate minded. Yeah. Like they follow what the boss says, you know, they do the follow the corporate line and they don't step out of place. Tucker yeah. steps out of place frequently. Well, And he set himself apart. So when 
when they started sniffing around saying, maybe we don't need this guy, what that does is you have no friends. You have no allies. Yeah. Tucker Carlson really didn't have anybody in New York kind of telling his story for him or, or explaining why it was important. I guess maybe that he was still there or these things could be overcome or, or whatever that led to them dismissing him. So he had kind of positioned himself, like you said, completely away from Fox management. He didn't really uh, interact with Fox News, the news channel very much, those folks. And I think the best evidence of this is his January 6th programming, which the rest of his own network completely ignored. The news people didn't pick it up. They didn't run it. The opinion people didn't pick it up. He was a man on an island. That, to me, is is a really good indicator of how isolated he had become at at Fox. Very, very isolated. He was also very vocal in criticizing his own network when they made the call of Arizona for Biden in the 2020 election, which, again, was that very controversial time call at the time that became part of the Dominion case. Uh, But I think, again, that adds into just that criticism that all became public of his own network and the people he worked with and that constant criticism. Again, it takes its toll. And if you can't, if you're not going to be a company man or woman, you're not going to survive very long at Fox. And then there's just his general personality. I think Tucker Carlson rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. It's been reported many, many times. He has an extremely foul mouth. Um, He's just very crass and very coarse in his, um, in his uh, uh, presentation. Yeah. And, and, and that's all in text messages, sure. apparently, that they top brass has. There, there's having a foul mouth. There's being coarse. And then there's going around calling your female boss a word that I, word. I, I'm not going to say. Right. And doing it over and over and over again. At some point, you reach a you pass the point of where things can be salvaged. And if you're doing that, if you're putting those types of of uh, communications in either text or email some way where you know they're going to be preserved to me that just shows you've crossed the line where i truly don't give a shit about any of these people around you think me. you're invincible yeah. yeah they're all here to serve me i'll do whatever i want it, it is it is what it is and he just worked himself to the spot where he never thought this would this would happen there's a uh, photo of him i think it was from last year when the new york times did a profile piece on uh how he has become this uh, lightning rod for you know extreme yeah. far alt white voices and um he's holding the front page of that paper with this like grin on his yeah. face like he's very giddy about it like I, he just he leans into that element and again it just adds to that public display that you know he doesn't care like he built this persona acted like he could get away with whatever he wanted and um i again i think We've talked about this, but I think it's accumulation of all of these different things that you mentioned. Yeah. It wasn't just one of those isolated. All of this came to a head. You have the settlement, all of this. And you look at, if you're looking at the future, if you're Murdoch looking at the future, you're like, you know, there's going to be liability down the line with this guy. How much do we want to risk? Do we want to take on? And they decided it wasn't worth it. And I think that's the big question. How does this impact Fox moving moving forward? Um, I think there's a common perception out there that this is Fox's tacking back to the center. This is them realizing that, Hey, since 2020, things have gone too far. We've opened ourselves up to way too much liability. The dominion settlement kind of drove that home and it's time to, to get back to more just center right news. Um, I think this is also a recognition on Fox. Hey, we, we are not going to be a money printing press on some of these opinion shows. 
the the cable news landscape has changed. The audience is too small. The advertisers aren't there. There there is no show like Bill O'Reilly anymore that for 15 years dominated cable news network. It's a different time and era, and, and just printed money hand over hand over fist. That that's just not. There. I am skeptical of the premise of that they're trying to tack back center right, and and I, I think there's probably elements there that yeah. w- want to do that. But whether or not that'll happen, I'm, I just, I don't see that. And I think partially because a lot of their more pragmatic, fair-minded people have left the network. Yeah. I mean, people like Shepard Smith yeah. and Chris Wallace. They're gone. I mean, they bled all of those people over the past, you know, five to eight years. So it, they, they just, they have very little to start with. So again, it'll be interesting to see who they bring in and what new voices, because that'll tell the story. Um, and it, it may just simply be that they're not going to give as much voice to the extreme fringe. Like you said, Tucker's show was the one place that Marjorie Taylor Greene could get booking. Uh, absolutely. Charlie Kirk could get booking. A hundred percent. And without him, these people, like you said, don't have access. Yeah. And these people are lunatics. Yeah. I mean, I took a, uh, I, I would extra leaned into some of the, the, the fringe, right? The, your Tim pool, your Charlie Kirk, Jason Whitlock, folks like that, folks that they're only, or one of their only avenues to, to mainstream was Tucker Carlson. And they are defending him in a way that, Brandon, you would think the Fifth, the First Amendment got overturned. What, what, what's been fascinating about listening to these folks, and to me, it kind of lets you know that they're in on, on the grift. There hasn't been a single word or sentence of discussion about what did Tucker do to contribute to him being let go. I mean, these yeah. are issues that are simply not going to be talked about. Brandon, you, you would honestly think by listening to those folks this week that the United States military rolled out, captured Tucker Carlson, stripped away his First Amendment rights, <laughs> and he's currently sitting in jail right now. It's just— It's that victimhood mentality, how right? They There's see never him any responsibility so or accountability. Like, I mean, he's the victim. And <laughs> it is pretty shocking. It's just—it's— uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's what I expected, but at the same time, it's still over the top, so over the top. And I guess this this is a theme of all kind of— I'm just going to call it right-wing media right now. It's, Brandon, I don't have special experience. I don't have a background in what I'm talking about, (laughs) but I have a special perception and knowledge that only I have that gives me insights to these issues that, Brandon, you, you, you couldn't come up with. And it's because, you know, they're very unique and very original. And people literally think of Tucker Carlson as one of the most original political thinkers in our time. Tucker Carlson uses minute-by-minute ratings to identify what words, phrases, and stories get the most reaction out of his audience, which very quickly he found those were stories about crime, especially crime by, by black folks, white supremacy, election denial, all that stuff. He found scientific evidence that there was a a peak in the audience when he went that direction. So he just used that data to lean into the areas that grow his audience. I mean, it's cynical, but it's also pretty pretty straightforward. Tucker Carlson made a uh, intentful, intentional, I should say, pivot to where he is as a provocateur um, entertainment uh, space. Because, you know, at one point he used to be on Crossfire, you know, opposite of, uh, of, uh, uh, what's his name? Novak, um, who's deceased, uh, the the conservative. 
Um, yeah. He used to be on the same side against Paul Begala. Paul Begala, so I was he, thinking, yeah. Yeah, and so, and he was a movement conservative at that time, establishment conservative, yeah. very much button. So he got torn apart when John Stewart, uh, from the Daily Show went on that. Did show. you watch that again this week? Um, I did, yeah, <laughs> just because it's it's so illustrative. And then Tucker started this basically uh, this movement to reinvent himself, and he's been fired now from all three networks: yeah, CNN, did- MSNBC, Fox News. And you know he has pivoted though. His shows on MSNBC and CNN were much more down the line, conservative commentary, news discussion. And, you know, there there are some good quotes, which I think we mentioned a while back. You can find them. What he said about Bill O'Reilly back in, like, 2003, yeah. where he claimed that he was a demagogue and you yeah. know, speaking to the worst common denominator. And he became that. And he intentionally decided to become what he, at the time, hated because of money and because of what it would bring him. Um, so, again, that's where we are now. I did want to – oh, go I was ahead. I to say, it, it was such a great example by Jon Stewart of just looking at somebody and saying – you're full of shit. You know you're full of shit. <laughs> and everybody knows you're full of shit. And you yeah. just, oh, you're full of shit. Do you know that he, you know it. he even berated everybody. him down to like the bow tie, which he was known oh, for? Yeah. Tucker stopped wearing bow ties after that. Like, I, <laughs> completely reinvented his persona. It's just, there, there, was, there was a time, it reminds me of a time at work when somebody was trying to do something that they know they couldn't do. And they were just doing it because they, they could. And just the simple, direct approach, just the words over and over again. You can't do that. You, you, you know that. You know that. There's also, I want to back up. I'm going to have to find this term. I read the other day and I already forgot. But there is a term, as we were, you were talking about this phenomenon that's gained traction among the, the right, people who talk and talk about everything, regardless of not having knowledge or expertise, yeah. but being confident about what they don't know simply because of the fact that they have a platform to talk about it and the fact that their confidence continues to increase despite their knowledge not being there or decreasing. And again, I'll find that term. There's actually a scientific term for that. Like it's actually a psychological phenomenon, but we're seeing that played out over and over among all of these people. And and you see it in real time, of course, with social media. And and all of these people have set themselves up as truth tellers. As yeah. again, uh, there's a truth. They're going to reveal to you yes. what the mainstream media is telling you, what nobody else is telling you. Only you can I can only see get it. it from them. That's correct. And why do they do that? Because many Americans um, gravitate towards this idea that somehow I'm getting exclusive information mm-hmm. that you can't get from anywhere else, and I am one of only a select few getting this. So you on the street, who's just you know taking in the mainstream news, you don't know what's going on. I do, and I'm going to teach you and I'm going to set you right and I, because I know what's actually going on and you don't. So there is this just almost like an endorphin rush like with the feeling of having this exclusivity when it comes to news and information yeah. where you know you're part of a select few and not everybody else has and, that. And from the host perspective, setting yourself up as that truth teller. I speak truth to power. I am the only person you can trust. Nobody else in the media is telling you the truth. You have to come to me or to this show or participate in what I'm putting out there in order to not be some rube and see the truth of what's actually happening. That was definitely part of Tucker Carlson's appeal. 
Yeah. And I, again, I'm going to make a comparison because that's actually what cult leaders do as well. Like people that get just drawn into cults, it's that same mentality. Like this person has access to exclusive information. You can only get it from them. You have to listen to them and do everything they say because they are this source of truth that can't be found anywhere. So, and, and we have media movements and phenomenons that border on cult mentality like QAnon, which yeah. is one of those. And so you have to be very careful and mindful of, of all of that. I do, before we move on, I do want to highlight just because I think this nugget was very um, interesting and it's tabloidy and gossipy, but uh, Rupert Murdoch's fiance, <laughs> he broke off his engagement with her. One of the reasons it's been thrown out there in the media, which again is not confirmed, but um, sources have said that uh, she loved Tucker Carlson so mm-hmm. much and told Rupert Murdoch that he was a messenger from God. Yeah, said and, she honestly believed that. And Rupert said, "Oh, sorry." And Rupert said, "Nope." Yeah. And that was kind of like the last straw for. And he apparently broke off the relationship. I don't know if it was only because of that, but um, apparently that was partially why. I am not going to make fun of Rupert Murdoch for at 92 wanting to get married again. I'm a big fan of love. Love as many people as you can. Get your heart broke as much as you want. At 92, if you think you can, you're up for the challenge again, go ahead. Have at it. But I, I do think the story is indicative of maybe he's just looking at the people around him and thinking, what What are these people what seeing? What is this monster I created? <laughs> like, I, I think it could be, what are these people is... seeing? And then, what have I done? Yeah. I mean, what, what have I done? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh-huh. at his age and that he is the founder of that company, you can't expect him to be involved in the day, the, 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 the day to days, but he can certainly watch the product that's being produced and have a few questions and say, Hey, we're, we're beyond the point where I'm comfortable with what's happening here. Right. Because I mean, Rupert Murdoch is a money man, but we have heard from him time and time again, like he was shocked by January 6th. Like he was, yeah. um, you know, not a fan of Trump after that. Like there's a lot of anecdotes that suggest that things go too far for him for him as well. And even in what has come out through the, um, uh, the testimony with the dominion settlement, um, he's been very blunt and honest about some of the lies that were told yeah. on his own network. Uh, so again, I think at the end of the day too, he's perhaps taken a step back and analyzing Damn. that. So let's in Tucker talk with, where does he go next? He, he can't go to a network. He's played no. that out. I, well, I did hear that like news nation was like, putting out vibes for him, but they couldn't pay him anywhere near what so he was making. If I'm Tucker one play, and it all depends on what, what, what does the Tucker Carlson revenge tour look like? If he's going after the mothership Fox news, he could roll to OAN or Newsmax and just yeah. say, Hey, I'm, I'm part owner. I'm bringing a couple billion in investment with me. And my goal is we are, we are going right at Fox news. Give him some content authority ownership of- here. At the network. Here's why I don't think that will happen. Tucker Carlson is roughly 53, 54. He, he's basically my age. The The woman who is suing him, the, the producer slash booker, whatever she is, she made 90 separate tapes of his conversation. I don't trust any human being anymore. Yeah. I mean, I know what the perception is of me. I know people are coming at me. I'm going to make my, whatever move I make next is going to be very small. And I'm going to have very few people around me because I'm not going through this again. You have to be paranoid at this point, right? I, I would be. I would think that's a natural reaction. When people are recording you at work, I think that would change your, your psyche about how you approach work. Right. So, I mean, he could, he could do that. I think what he'll end up doing is doing a sub stack, something like that. 
he'll he'll join Rumble or Substack or Spotify. Something smaller in scale. He'll he'll strike a deal with them for content. He'll do a podcast, a blog, and and some some 15, 20 minute video stuff. And I think that that's what it'll be. And he'll make tens of millions of dollars a year off of it. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, we would be remiss and also just not mentioning also on Monday, Don Lemon was fired from CNN. <laughs> um, not as big of news and obviously not as earth shattering, but just uh, and not surprising, I would say, no. because Lemon has been on thin ice for a while. And I think his time was running out. You can say a lot about Tucker Carlson, but you can't say the man is not talented. Right. Especially from from where he comes from, he has a unique position and Tucker Carlson does mean better than any person oh, yeah. on the he right. He reinvented himself time and time again and he's smart at what he does. And I think yes. that would be the challenge is anybody that replaces him and attempts to do what he did, uh, I don't know that they could do it as well as he did and do it in a way that still draws people in with the charisma, with the storytelling, with the narrative. Yeah. You have to really bring all of that together. Uh, there are other hosts that attempt to do what he does, but they're 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 dumb. They're not as smart. People yeah. like Janine Pirro and people yeah. like uh, Maria Bartiromo. This like, is a those great are not point. Smart people. Look at the group of dumb dumbs around him trying to be him, and yeah. look at the parade of people they're going to put in that seat. It, it comes nowhere. It comes nowhere close to what to what he can what he can do. So, right. I, I think Tucker will be just fine. Yeah. I, I mean, so Brian too. Seltzer thinks he could get five hundred thousand people paying a hundred dollars a year. On a paid subscription service. Oh, I think quickly. so easily. Yeah. Yeah. And grow from there. So, I mean, that's essentially what Bill O'Reilly did is he, yeah. you know, has his own newsletter subscription service. He's still around and kicks <laughs> have, out newsletters. Have you ever stuff. consumed any of his content since he left Fox? Um, I have just because I have an old throwaway email that I have a lot of that Uh-oh, stuff gets dumped yeah. into. So I check every once in a while and it's just, it's, it's all, it's just older, it's, wider and meaner. Yeah. That's all it yeah. is. If, if you want to watch a, a, a rich white guys, hit what, what, what the descent is like is they you know cross Bill O'Reilly has got to be over 70 now. Oh yeah. As they cross into their elderly years, O'Reilly's just a case study on, on exactly. that. God, I would say the last thing I'll say is there's Glenn Beck's on Glenn Beck's podcast. I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday, he had Megyn Kelly and Bill O'Reilly on. Oh, really? Megyn Kelly made a great point that about the, the, the producer, about, yeah, you know, he was, he's mean to his producers, part of that lawsuit. She's like, I can tell you right now, at Fox, there is no penalty for an on-air host belittling, berating, and just abusing producer talent. So Dan Abrams. That's just not going to. Yeah, Dan Abrams just, had yeah. Megyn Kelly on News Nation, which I caught a little bit of the other day, and she said the same thing. Like that that was would not be out of the ordinary, and Fox would not act solely based on that. Unless, again, there's something deeper there. There's something on a recording we don't know that they've heard that's going to be more liable for them. Glenn Beck told the story about, hey, if you think you're ever too big for Fox, he went on vacation one time at the height of his show and they leaked to the media he had been suspended. And he's like, I, I, it was a vacation. This I vaguely been remember that, yeah. For over a year, I have the email saying it. And he finally got somebody at Fox to say, it's good for advertisers. <laughs> advertisers wow. want to take a chunk out of you. This is how we're going to do it. Just You just got to live with it. So That tells you everything you need to know. DeSantis... He's got himself in trouble with the the Mighty Mouse again, it looks like. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's interesting. Tucker had a very bad week, but DeSantis mm-hmm. didn't really have that much of a better week. Um, you know, he's continuing his very bad uh, moment at the, you know, which seems to now be stretching 
you know, in two months. It's going months. on a lot. So uh, Disney uh, pushing back against uh, DeSantis. Um, so for those that have followed this saga, uh, the, the the board of cronies that DeSantis appointed, who are several of them are batshit crazy, they basically just wrote up a resolution nullifying the um, contractual agreements that Disney had the prior board pass. Um, which are legally binding before uh, the, b- before the law changed and DeSantis's appointees were able to take their places. Uh, so Disney has sued, and they have filed this lawsuit in federal court. And there's a, a couple things with the lawsuit. It was striking to me that uh, they did not mince words here. Uh, so they filed this lawsuit, by the way, within minutes hmm. of. DeSantis's board nullifying their um, uh, their contractual agreement, um, and they claim that this is a targeted campaign of government retaliation. They accuse DeSantis of quote relentless campaign to weaponize government power against Disney in retaliation for expressing a political viewpoint. Uh, they also said that this campaign now threatens Disney's business operations, jeopardizing its economic future in the region, and violates its constitutional rights. And uh, Disney's lawsuit said that the board um, was, quote, patently retaliatory, patently anti-business, and patently unconstitutional. That sounds about true. So, yeah, so very strong language, but also, I think, very accurate accurate language. And Disney has a lot on the line here. They're wanting to expand uh, Disney World and uh, pump um, uh, hundreds of millions in investment um, into that park and in new operations to expand the footprint there. And so they're claiming that this jeopardizes that. Um, and I also saw this. I wanted to take a step back. And this is why this is all incredibly stupid, because at the end of the day, if Disney did did decide to pick up and leave, which, by the way, it was kind of funny to see, um, like, Nikki Haley tweet out, like, Disney, come to South Carolina. Um, We're woke, but we're not sanctimonious. We're not sanctimonious about it. So, which, again, is kind of like a nod to Trump, right? You know, Ron D. Sanctimonious. So Disney, though, paid and collected $1.2 billion in state and local taxes in 2022 alone. $1.2 billion in state taxes. Like, if that went away tomorrow, how would the Florida state government continue functioning without $1.2 billion? They wouldn't. It just, yes. I mean, I, that's the thing. Like, again, they're poking this mammoth economic behemoth that drives their state's economy and again orlando would be a hole in the ground if it wasn't for disney like it would cease to even be in the imagination brandon i have been told reliably that ron DeSantis is a fighter and if your (laughs) reputation is a fighter you have to fight fighters don't negotiate fighters don't lay their arms down and say maybe there's a better way to do this if i'm a fighter and that's what i want to be known as well, then I always have to be in a fight. And I think that's where DeSantis is is finding the flaw in his in his branding. Well, yeah, he's finding it's not working. And it's incredible to me because he's getting pushed back in a lot of different areas. I've read a couple things that even Florida lawmakers are grumbling that they're starting to get exhausted with his battle yeah. with Disney and that they are indicating that they're not going to be likely to continue it. Like they're kind of at the end of yeah. supporting him on the legislative front. So that's not good. Um, he lost all of these potential legislative endorsements um, to Trump um, from Florida as well. But uh and then Trump himself put out a, a truth, 
truth social a truth a what post. are they called a truth a post whatever they're called uh, basically blasting DeSantis for uh, you know b- poking Disney and yeah. and the economic impact which actually out of everything Trump has ever tweeted that was the most psychological and uh, <laughs> rational response to what DeSantis is doing um, so it's it's interesting he's getting hit at from all sides and again there's this idea that somehow DeSantis is um, just has aptitude and would be able to debate well like i haven't seen any indication of that he doesn't handle the press well he doesn't seem to argue his own position very well he was asked about this lawsuit that disney filed and he made some kind of statement saying it's just political that's all it is it's political like that was his only response it's like really like first of all your action was political yeah, going you after started them. you this. started this and they're actually filing a lawsuit related to the nullification of their a contractual agreement how's yeah. that political like there's a legally binding contract at the heart of their lawsuit so it's not just political obviously because they want to be able to run their operations as they did prior to all of this happening uh so i thought that was a very weak response to all of that let alone that he continues to you know make this claim that um you know we're not going to allow um any uh, corporation to be its own government. Well, yeah. if that was the case, are you going to nullify these types of agreements that are in place throughout the state? Like there's 300 yeah. some agreements like that. It's like, give me a break. What <laughs> what I don't understand here. So if I'm Ron DeSantis, number one, what is the, uh, making the calculation that you can make political gain off Disney's back is just a not, it's just not a good cal- cal- calculation to make. Yeah. You, you just ran through the numbers of what they mean to the state of Florida. So if you want to pick a what now has turned into an elongated fight over a culture war that's now spilled over into the political arena, the the local arena, the legal arena, I would think you would have what is your objective coming out of this if you wanted to go that that big? What I, what I would thought a governor would do is call whoever's contact is at Disney and say, hey, listen, Bob, you're going to hear some shit come out of my mouth and we're going to do some stuff, but don't worry about it. This is just politics. I'm going to bang on you for a little bit to make some some culture war. Uh, uh, hey, and then I'm, I'm, I'm going to move on. And I think that's what most of us thought this was going to be, because, again, there is no political Upside. positive outcome yeah. of getting into this big of a fight with Disney. No. Sununu. Uh, Haley, um, Trump, I think everybody who's could be associated with Chris Christie, yeah. all of them have said, this is dumb. This is not conservative. Oh yeah. They've all piled on. It's time to bail out of this. Yeah. D- did you see him in Israel this week where he just went snappy at, at a reporter I heard who about, asked him about Disney? I heard about that. What did he actually say to the reporter? He just kept going on. So what he did was he didn't like the question, so he immediately turned it personal on the reporter. You're a hack for asking that. That's your woke agenda. This tells, tells me more about who you are than about anything because you asked it. That's a very good tactic to use, but it also comes across as mean, aggressive, and kind of unlikable. Yeah. These are typically things that you want to avoid if you're running to be the president of the United States. Uh, agreed. Yeah, I, but he and, and I think it's emblematic of the fact that he's lived in the silo, media silo for so long. He's coddled in Florida. He basically has created this environment where the press is afraid to ask him questions because they're afraid of the political retaliation and and consequences of doing so because he started out like that in Florida like hitting back and being very aggressive and punishing, you know, press that 
uh, asked him tough questions, restricting access. Yeah. And so they don't do that in Florida. He's hasn't been outside of that bubble. He hasn't faced tough questions. And his immediate instinct is to become hyper-defensive yes. and to hit back. And it's not a good look, and it's not one that's going to serve him well on a national campaign where he's going to have to take tough questions from local news affiliates in Iowa and South Carolina yeah. on the campaign trail from all ma- manner of media across the spectrum. And so if he can't handle this, I mean, it, first of all, it tells me that uh, he, he's very thin-skinned. Yeah. And <laughs> that, yeah. again, you can't run a campaign for president with that mentality. It's not going to work. And I think we, we'd heard about this, but now we're kind of seeing this this come to light. There's He hasn't announced yet. I think the the Florida legislation, they, they did whatever he asked them to do to, to make it where he doesn't have to resign the governorship to run. So I think that's that out of the way. Next week? Or, that, yeah, I, I thought well, maybe it's on the floor now, but maybe they'll, they'll all, pass yeah, it sometime soon. Yeah. And then the, the legislation session in Florida ends, I think, mid-May. Biden's in, so I'm assuming in mid-May, as soon as that session's over, he'll officially announce for, for the president. He currently sits, I think the last poll I saw, he was down by 42 points to, to Trump nationally. Yeah, it was pretty embarrassing. Trump is calling for a call off of, of the debates as, again, there, there's no reason for them, which he may have a point. I guess one of the things we probably need to talk through, I, I'm pretty sure DeSantis is still going to run. Why, I guess now yeah. is the question. What What is it about Ron DeSantis now? I mean, we, we ask this question all the time, and Ron has been unable to answer it. Why is it urgent and important that Ron DeSantis is the next president? And more importantly, do you feel comfortable handing him the reins of federal government power, seeing what he's done no. in Florida? I mean, the way he Absolutely punishes not. business and his enemies. But uh, yeah, what is the case? I mean, he can't really make that case. He's been too timid and afraid to go after Trump. So he won't even criticize areas where he thinks Trump is wrong. He just says he'll be more effective at yes. governing than Trump, which is a, a very kind of on the margins type yep. of argument to make, a very kind of nuance. It's more process-oriented, not policy. So it's hard to make the case that this time has come for you to be president when you're not willing to make that case yourself because at the end of the day, you won't criticize yeah. your greatest opponent that's a great point. How could you be president when you won't even criticize that person? Would you completely kowtow to that to that person? Right. Is Trump right as a Republican? Should they just kill off the Republican primary? Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, no, the they should just disgust on your face because there's like that second when you realize that could actually happen. I, I mean, it, it could. I think. I mean, the RNC. I mean, you have uh, Ronna, uh, Romney McDaniel, who's yeah. still in charge and who was in Trump's pocket. It could actually happen. I mean, it shouldn't because we should have a legitimate debate and give equal time to all of the candidates. But at the end of the day, too, we see the polls and we know who's riding high and who isn't. Yeah. The fact that we don't see a lot changing in this race. And get, granted, it's still early enough where things we could see things get uh, shake up and we could see a dark horse emerge. We could see something else happen. Um, but I do think regardless, I don't see Ron DeSantis being the knight in shining armor, the savior. If it no. is, it's going to be somebody else who would be the alternative to Trump. 
and there there is nobody now. But I don't it's I don't think it's going to be Ron no. DeSantis, Chris Sununu, Asa Hutchinson, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, Chris. None of them are. I mean, they could be entertaining, yeah. But there's none of them ever going Which, to did take you a listen, shot a- at him. Asa Hutchinson was on um, Axelrod's podcast. Did you? I, I've heard catch some up? clips where he will go at Trump directly. He will, and bit. it was actually so I like him a lot just because he's the closest thing to a norm normie, and he did not like. Uh, he did not give in and yield and go MAGA at all yeah. like to try to get, you know, like Nikki Haley and the rest of them done different times. But again, there's no lane for him. Like, What, where does what he... party is he running for? Yeah. First of all, he he's very smart. He's very deliberate. He's yeah. very he thinks about what he's going to say, approach to politics. He's very nuanced on some of these issues. Like, that's not what the no. base wants. <laughs> like nobody. Nobody's calling for that. And again, the greatest example is he was followed in office as governor of Arkansas by Sarah Huckabee <laughs> Sanders, who could not be more different than his approach. I mean, very different people on the party. God, she, He's like the Mitt Romney to her yeah. Trump, essentially. But but there is no there is no call for a Mitt Romney. There is no call. There, yeah. there, there is no, who, who is saying, wow, we really got to get back to normal here. Nobody. Nobody. I mean, as far as I can understand, the Republican party right now is looking for somebody that's going to embrace actual radical change. Yeah. And Trump's biggest running point is I didn't get to finish the job because the deep state stopped me. Now I know more about it. I'm going to go in there and just blow everything up and do everything I've told you I'm, I'm going to oh. do. And yeah. I don't, I don't see who's going to stop him. I, I guess we, we've come to this point where have the Republicans realized you will be done with Trump when Trump is done with you. That's and he's not works. done with you yet. And whatever he's, whatever he's going to do in this election, whatever, he, he's going to keep his jaws on you until he can wring out anything of value to him. You might want to walk away from him. There's no walking away from him at this point. No, he doesn't he allow that. He is the party he's still until he, he's done. Well, and again, Republicans, you know, elected on Capitol Hill and the donors and the lobbyists, their one hope, because again, they see no way out of this, is they are literally waiting for Trump to die. They see that as like I think the that's only the way to get out of this. Charlie Sykes openly talks about it. The yeah. only way out of this is Trump's death. And people will talk about that in, in D.C., I've come around to Jonah Goldberg's position of we need to get rid of all primaries. This all needs to go back to a party smoke filled room and they make all of these decisions. What has the primary system got us? Yeah. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Donald Trump to a certain extent. I don't think the the uh, I don't think the, the the system that we're using now for elections and primaries is getting anybody the results they thought they were going to get. I don't think so either. I, but again, I don't think that's going to happen tomorrow. That's why I'm saying we need to start with state by state reforms in terms of um, nonpartisan blanket primaries, you know, allowing the first like top five to then advance to runoff, those types of reforms to be able to, in a uh, piecemeal, incremental fashion, move towards yeah. more moderate candidates. And I think that's how we start and that's how we get there. Um, and in states like Arkansas, where um, uh, and Oklahoma and other very deep red states where um, ranked choice voting is it likely because it's too complex and it's too difficult to understand it can easily be yeah. spun as a liberal thing. 
you start with nonpartisan blanket primaries or something like that, and that's where you can move the needle. And I know there's groups on the ground working to get something, a ballot referendum in Arkansas for for that, but that's really where it's going to have to go. And it's a state-by-state effort. We're a, a federal system, so we can't just pass something nationwide. And so we're going to have a patchwork of different elections. But, but maybe at the at the Senate level, maybe at the statewide election level and, and, and the federal level, I mean, in five to 10 years, parties will be done, right? Because what do I need a party for? I yeah. don't need your money. I can directly fundraise. Trump has shown that is for any amount of money that, that like what I want. You're not going to block me. You're, you're not a barrier to entry. You're going to say, no, I can't. Because you don't seem, I say you, but parties seem to not care who runs under their brand and what damage they do. No, I think the future of parties is in doubt overall. um, What does the party do anymore? Well, and I think, again, George Washington and John Adams were both, you know, warned us about political parties and the downfall of the republic. And I think they were right. Uh, So... Yeah. I mean, if, if you're telling me who do you trust, the Republican Party in a smoke-filled room or the voters of some place in Georgia that elected Marjorie Taylor Greene, I'll take the Smoke dudes in the room back room. Day, yeah. yeah, I get it. Probably not going to get the most diverse candidate set. That's going to take a hit. But at the same time, look, look at what we're doing. Yeah. Well, agreed. I mean, that's we need to go back to that. I mean, we had stability for how many years? Because that was the— A the lot. Way, yeah. Um, and yeah, the primary system and the way it's set up now, and especially with Republicans trying to make it more difficult to vote and more restrictive, like yeah. it's just, it's not the answer. Do we even want to talk about like the debt ceiling crisis? I, I think, know. I think we got to, <sighs> cause I was shocked that, um, the Republicans got their shit together enough to pass that, that bill that they passed. It Barely. Even, was it by two votes? It was by two votes. <sighs> it's a complete non-starter. Strips money out of the Veterans Administration and all kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah. It's it's not going to— It's going nowhere in the Senate. And again, Biden can always fall back to, this is not a budget discussion. Right. This is an artificial political fight we created well, around and the debt like, which did is not, stupid. And you didn't do this under Trump. No. You didn't make these demands because you recognize that this should not— And no other country ties— no, debt ceiling increases no. to their annual budget. It's not. Did th- did this come about in the Obama days? Originally, yeah. If you remember, twenty fourteen no. was when this first happened with House Republicans, and there was the brinkmanship. Yeah, and that's when the government did shut down. I think for like three days. I do the remember first that. Time. Um, national parks closed. Uh, and then, um, they worked out, I, I don't even remember now what the compromise was, but then it happened again, at least one other time after that, I think, right. Maybe twice. I think the, gov- the government shutdown has happened, I believe twice. Okay. That is, ha- but we've got, yeah. we've had the brinkmanship happen over and over again. Maybe yeah. that's where I get confused now. Cause that's become a it's always perennial a fight. thing. Well, but it did, it used to always, I'll be rephrase when a Democrat's in office, it's a fight. Yeah. It never when a happens under Republican. Right. When, like when Trump and Republicans have full control, it wasn't. So does McCarthy have any legs to stand on in forcing Biden to negotiate with him? Or is Biden right to say, listen, this is all just made up bullshit. I'm not going to participate. Pass it or the, or the problem is no, I think Biden should call his bluff, which is essentially what too. Obama did um, with uh, John Boehner and House Republicans when— um, and John Boehner was much—was it is held hostage to the crazies like— uh, 
uh, McCarthy is. Yeah. But yeah, call his bluff because they don't have anything at the end of the day. And McCarthy is the one in the tenuous position because he can't afford to lose a single vote. And he doesn't, he doesn't really have any feasible options. That's why this bill is so crazy. Yeah. Like this barely could muster, but it's not feasible. Um, and Republicans are unwilling to cut social security or, um, any of the entitlements no. or the military, any of the big things that are really what accounts for the majority of the but budget. This has money out of veteran stuff and border stuff. Yeah. And H- actually, how can they, how can they move forward with that? Well, and not just, not just veterans, but um, the uh, uh, the nine eleven um, uh, first yeah. responders fund. You know, Great. John Stewart fought yeah. to get those benefits extended and those are cut from this legislation, which is just awful. This just feels like another political miscalculation by the Republicans. This is going to come back to bite them in the ass. And at the end of the day, they're going to, they're going to fold. Yeah. And if I'm Biden, I'll say, listen, here's what I'll do. I'll make the concession to where any of the pandemic money that hasn't been spent, we'll claw that back. I think that's reasonable and and we'll do that. But other than that, I'm just not we're not we're not doing this. I'm not I would agree. falling I think, into this. I mean, I think thing. that's one concession that can be made, but I would none of the others should be made because all of the others reflect the agenda that he was voted in to do, and that yes. um, Democrats were voted in to do, and it's completely irrational to expect them to cut any of that or claw that back. I would say, listen, I'll throw you a bone. I made a compromise. Here's this one thing, maybe want something small, but it gives you a win and let's let's move forward. There's no possible way that's how this is going to work. I mean, if I was the White House, I would have somebody um, in there, a liaison, undercutting Boehner by talking to the handful of any moderate Republicans yeah. that would be, you know, saying, what can we work out with you, some type of deal. The people like Nancy Mace from South Carolina, Don Bacon yeah. from Nebraska, those people to just ensure that there is momentum for, for something getting a, cause if you can basically say, Hey, here's this plan that you have all these Democrats for and a handful of Republicans bipartisan, you could undercut McCarthy yeah. there. And then, uh, you know, he, he basically would be in prime position to negotiate because he would have anything at that point. Well, and I think McCarthy in some ways has always already tipped his hand when he went to wall street and talked to those folks. Oh yeah. Cause I'm sure <laughs> the message to them was, Hey, this ain't happening guys. Don't worry. Don't stop. Don't yeah. tank the stock market on this. We're not that stupid. This will get resolved. That's exactly what he was doing. I mean, know? he wasn't there talking about government funding cuts cause they could give two shits. Right. It's, are you going to shut it down and cause me a problem or not? So I I think this feels like another artificial fight that there'll be some political hay made about. But in the end, it feels like everybody knows what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, hopefully that is the case. Um, And again, we'll see if voters hold Republicans responsible for. They typically (laughs) do. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, this will be another campaign issue. And I think it's going to be, especially in marginal seats, um, it'll it'll be tough. And two more states ratified abortion. Yet this week, didn't they? Nebraska. Well, no. So, um, what happened on Nebraska that and South Carolina failed yes, they to failed. pass more restrictive abortion okay, regulations. Gotcha. So, um, so yeah, that happened this week, which is interesting. Um, so, no bills are going to be going to the governor to sign. What's interesting is two conservative states. I'm sure they would have thought once Roe versus Wade fell, the state would immediately pass a law to, to restrict abortion 
And it's just it, it, well, no state. The, this is not happening. No, and in both of these cases, the bills were shy of a couple of Republican votes. A few Republicans in South Carolina and in Nebraska legislature that were unwilling to go that far. They yeah. said, "No, that's this is a bridge too far. We're not going to do that." Have you been following what's happened to the the trans um, uh, legislator in Montana? I ha- oh yeah, so the, the cutting her mind. It's interesting. <laughs> Did you see where she set her desk up outside the the thing? No, I didn't see that. They, they didn't kick her out. They I think they censured her, and part of the censure is she cannot speak on the floor for the entire session. Well, so it, she just moved her desk outside. They doing did. That there. So uh, the the reason this is like so ridiculous too is it's all because of the comment she made, which I found so offensive, was that they, she basically said they all had blood on their yeah. hands. And so apparently that was egregious enough to where they went to basically say she cannot um, speak during the entire rest of the session. And it's like, really, that's going to be the the line? Like, you see all of the the crazy incendiary rhetoric we've seen in the Trump era, and that's what gets you in trouble? And you would think they'd be a little bit more mindful of optics in the wake of what happened in Tennessee with those three lawmakers. I want to push on that for a second. So if I have my history right, you you were once involved and maybe even led the Kansas Young Republicans? I did. I was chair of the Kansas Young Republicans. So is there anybody— in what I'm going to call the national party, I don't know the the nomenclature here, but in the the Republican national level that actually talks to, cares about, and listens to anybody under the age of 70 in the Republican Party. So in Young Republicans, we did have liaisons like no. at the national level. Like there was an RNC outreach uh, position, a chair for young people, and uh, you know there were uh, a handful of electeds. But the way that the Young Republicans were organized, there was a Young Republican National Federation, like national board, and then there were state federations and then local chapters. So it was very much that kind of uh, hierarchy. Um, and again, there were liaisons, but there wasn't like a direct link to like the RNC or the state party. It would be accurate to say you guys didn't really have a seat at the table. No. I mean, there were times that we would be, we would, they would invite us to the table if they were doing a survey or if they were doing some kind of specific get out the vote project, but a a permanent seat at the table. No, like that was not just, it just didn't exist. Do you think the Republican party at the national level understands the damage it's doing to itself with younger voters? Do you think they, do you think they have a sense of everything that's happening, how that picture looks to a young person in America. I think today. they do, but I think that they either don't know what to do about it or more likely are just unwilling to make take the steps they need to do to confront it because it is puts it a them, power thing? Is that a money thing? I mean it puts them in conflict with their base. I mean they see okay. the numbers in terms of like Wisconsin, that state Supreme Court election, like I mean the surge in youth turnout throughout the state, especially in Madison and and a lot of these like by elections, like the the youth turnout has just been off the charts, and it continues to um, go more and more against Republicans. They they understand that's a problem. That's the reason why. Oh gosh, what's her name? There's that um, conservative lawyer, uh, Cleta Mitchell, who's been um, who has was working on with a bill in Montana, I think, to basically restrict. Um, polling places like at college campuses. Yeah, that's so going to be a big. That's part of the pushback now is to try to prevent young yeah. people from voting, like moving polling places 
off of college campuses, making it harder to vote, restricting IDs. A lot of these states for years have allowed college students to use their sure. university and campus it's IDs. It's a state issued ID. And now they're saying, no, you have to actually have a driver's license, yeah, not a state issued Which ID. is going to cut people out. So again, there's this, they recognize the problem, right? Because they wouldn't be taking those steps to um, restrict the vote and to disenfranchise college voters if they didn't recognize them because they see that as the only alternative. That is not a long-term strategy. That is not going to be successful. So it's hard. I'm trying to put myself in there. I can't fully understand. When you were involved with the Republican party at that level, did you ever see a plan of how to engage with young people? Was there ever, I mean, that was part of the strategy. I I mean, I saw uh, quite a few plans on how to engage with young people. And and many of those plans were were any of them good. I mean, there were a few good ones talking about like focus on entrepreneurship and being able to, you know, uh, increase that, um, increasing, um, uh, different avenues for job opportunities and getting into the trades for young people. Um, there was a lot, uh, well, this is way back cause this is clearly no longer part of the effort, but, um, looking at, um, uh, you know, changing, um, uh, reforming the visa system to bring in yeah. high skilled immigrants, okay. um, you know, for startups. So there were, there was a lot along, um, those lines as well. Um, one of the plans I saw even talked about moderating the party's message on, um, on marijuana legalization. Uh, but I feel like none of those plans, like those have all been discarded at this yeah. point. Like th- that's, that's not, not part of the no, platform now. That's all part of the old party. I mean, those are in line with like the 2012 post-presidential election, post-mortem, you know, diagnosis of what the you know party needed to do to reform. And, you know, it was similar to that. And that's been discarded, right? I mean, so <laughs> it's, I mean, I can point to several things that were good, which if they had kept on track with those, like we might be in a different place, but they haven't. I mean, they've completely gone 180. Yeah. Those. So David Frum wrote an article called the, the impending Joe Biden blow uh, wipeout where he wipes out the Republicans. I've heard about, I haven't read it. I, I didn't read it because it. it's in the, 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 uh, the Atlantic. Atlantic behind the paywall. But if I were kind of building what if I were going to write that article and that was the title, my first point I think would be there's absolutely no way turnout in 2024 it matches anywhere close to 2020. I think 67% of eligible voters voted. There's no possible way that happens again. You don't think that'll happen? Again? No. Even if Trump's on the ballot? I Even think if, if Trump's on the see, ballot. I think if Trump was Trump's on the ballot. Because Trump's not, he's not, Trump's not Trump anymore. Well, no, but I, but I think Trump has still has the ability to energize the left you know, and get the left out to vote, which I, I, but I, and that's why if he's not on the ballot, I do think those dynamics change as far as turnout on the, I, I, what does a Trump on the ballot look like under indictment under three separate indictments and having been found guilty civilly in the sexual assault case of Eugene Carroll, which is probably going to happen. Right. I mean, he is not going to be the same. I don't think his base will vote for him. I think Republican voting is going to be extreme is going to be extremely depressed by the presence of Trump. Okay. So if I'm writing the article, how Joe Biden blows out and wins re-election, part of my thesis is Trump is so damaged at this point, Republican vote is going to be very suppressed. He's going to get his 28% of whatever he has, but outside of that, it's going to fall off a cliff. There's going to be a ton okay, of Republicans well, that, that do not vote for president. But, and I'm just saying that the left will still be energized to get out Correct. as long as Trump's on the ballot. He's the Then lead. if you take that as the left energized, I think that could be a premise to where the Democrats blow the Republicans. Republicans out in 2024. I don't think it was from, but another author basically said Biden for the next um, 
two years needs to live in Arizona, Wisconsin, sure, uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan. There's only about 12 counties he needs to visit. Yeah. I mean, really like five states yeah. only that are going to, I mean, that were decided the outcome among a hundred thousand votes. I mean, what's it going to be? Arizona, Wisconsin, Georgia, Georgia. Yep. Pennsylvania. I mean, I think Pennsylvania is pretty solidly blue. If Trump runs. Yeah. Ohio is pretty solidly red. Michigan is pretty solidly blue, I think Michigan's going to be pretty solid So, yeah, maybe it's really just Wisconsin, Arizona, and Georgia. Colorado's blue. Nevada's turning blue. I don't think it's that. It'll be interesting to see what – is Georgia going to continue the the march towards becoming Georgia and Arizona were the two that those are in question, right? So that's why these – the 2022 congressional elections were interesting because both of those states had two senators up for re-election that had um, been elected back in 2020 to fill yeah. partial terms and both won re-election very convincingly. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how those go, but both of those states don't seem to be reverting. Red. They don't. They seem to be just acclimating to this new status of either purple or light blue. And Trump gives them no reason to revert. Oh yeah, n- not at all. There's nothing new and exciting that suddenly is going to, going to spawn more red activity in those, those states. No. Did you go to the draft last night at all? I did not. I, I heard a lot about it. You went though. How was it? We went, but we, we went in the afternoon. We, we okay. did, we did have typical, um, we are starting to do things now on an old person schedule. <laughs> so when we go Avoid to a, the crowds, get it uh, early. Absolutely. So on a major event like that, I think there were about 150,000 people there last night. Wow. So Joe and I, we, we went there at noon and we were done by, by four or four thirty. We went down at eight and walked around. What I really loved about it is how beautiful the city came off on, on TV, how the stage was lit up and the fountains. It and looked stuff. amazing it from just everything looked, I saw on television. Cosmetically, it looked very, very good. And it looked like just a, just a first-class setup all the, way, all, all the way around. So it was a, it was a pretty fun event. And so you could stay there pretty late, right? I knew there were people who stayed very late. Not night. only did I think the draft shit probably didn't get over till ten thirty or eleven. There was a concert there last night. Okay, that's why because people were there till after midnight. I mean, it was. Brandon, there's a concert there today uh, after the draft today. That's would, right. Would you guess who it is? Uh, oh gosh, I feel like I heard eighties metal uh, into the nineties. Okay, Motley Crue. Ah, Motley Crue. Wow. <laughs> Can That's you picture name. the crowd for Motley <laughs> Crew? Because this is going to be after two rounds of drafting, so they won't hit the stage until eleven. I'm guessing. Don't be late, yeah. So by that time, that crowd's going to be drunk and just ready to go. Oh my gosh, that's going to be. That's and most be people there are probably going to be closer to my age. These are going to be hardcore Motley Crew fans. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be a, quite a time. No, I, this has been fantastic though for our city, and it's been amazing to watch. And it just, it's uh, again, it feels like Kansas City is entering into this new phase yeah. in terms of spotlight. I mean, we have this, we have the World Cup coming. Yeah. Like it's just, we're on this roll. I mean, really, for a city good. our size, the last five years, we've been able to pull some pretty good, we pretty have, good stuff. Yeah. And, and I feel like like the timing is great, right, for all of this. The new airport just opened. Yep. Perfect timing for the draft. Everybody comes in, like, great front door to Kansas City. Like, I mean, we have pulled off some really great things, and I hope it leads to us getting more events. I mean, it's Brendan, really nice. you have traveled ex- extensively, so you would be able to answer this question for me. Is the KC airport too small? I mean, as it is now with yeah. the new? Um, I mean, I, I don't know. It's hard to... I mean, there are. I I think it could be larger yeah. comparatively to other cities, but at the same time, I think that the size has always been justified because we've always had 
somewhat smaller footprint. Sure. You know? So we just we don't bring in the big yeah. uh, events that bring in the you know large numbers yeah. of people, a volume of people. That I guess I never realized because it was spread across three terminals that when you condense it all down to one, it is that airport's yeah. actually smaller than I thought it would be. It is. I mean, it is fairly small. Um, you know, I would I would like to see an increase from the perspective of getting more. Uh, domestic flights as well as getting more international yeah. flights. When I say more, because we have very few right now, and there's been all this talk of like, what if we got like yeah. a Lufthansa flight to, yeah. you know, to the, Berlin the or something, or okay. London, or, you know, it would be great to get direct flights gotcha. at least one or two. So you want more business flights, like to Europe and yes. stuff. That would be nice. Direct flights okay. would be nice. Because yeah. I think they've added some to Cancun and some places they more have. vacation-y, yeah, but not from a business Not from a business standpoint. <clears throat> um, and I think that's really kind of what sets us apart, because even like St. Louis, like they have... A couple of direct flights, I yeah. think, to Germany the and London. Blows. That, uh, yeah, that's not one crazy. of the worst airports. I'm not ever. crazy about their airport, but they do have more of that the international and the business. Which, if we could get just a little bit of that, would would be nice. And we we'll were see. able to get tickets. Another couple of uh, uh, Joe and I, another couple. We got tickets to U uh, two in Vegas at that new sphere on October 28th. Oh my gosh. Wait, is that already open the sphere or not? I think it opened September 20 something. Oh, you, I can't wait to see that. It's the first band to play. They're okay. going to play like eight or nine shows there. Oh, that's going to be and awesome. And in Taylor Swift, it was a Taylor Swift type auction thing. A buddy of mine went on, he got a code. He's like, they've already sent me an email saying like 2 million people have applied for this. So don't, wow. don't get your hopes up. But he got selected. We got a code. It was only 286 bucks for oh, two tickets. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, we're up high, but from what I understand, this thing is just a big, giant, round LED screen. So that should be yeah, pretty like cool. Yeah, like all the way around. And apparently Inside the, and out. Yeah, I mean, the technology is supposed to be like yeah. out of this world. I can't wait to So that's pretty fun. There. That'll be fun. Yeah, well, I'll be able to give a good report to what that is, but I would think seeing any band there would be pretty would be pretty good. Oh, yeah. No, I'm excited because, I, I mean, that's been they've been working on that for a while. I've uh, oh yeah, in Vegas. I this thing is it. huge too. I do want to step back to one big complaint I still have about the airport. I picked somebody up Monday night, and a lot yes, of people are getting in Monday night. So there is still so many people that don't understand that in the uh, pickup zone, yep. people that are parking, and it's creating these lines that back up all the way to yep. Paris Street. And so you're talking about um, and, and you know several blocks away, and it's basically bumper to bumper, not moving. And so it, I, it took me like 20 minutes just to actually get to the loading zone because of this. And they had traffic control there. And they, the people that were moving in the outer lanes, they were motioning that. But they were not actually going up to doors and knocking and saying, telling yeah. people, you need to move. There were people that were literally parking and seated there for like 10, 15 minutes or more. Yeah. like. You can't do that. And I do not understand why people continue to do that here when that's not the way any other airport Thank operates. Thank you. This is what drives me insane about Kansas City. Ugh. We're going through a change, but we're really not. You know what we're changing to with the airport? It works like every, every other, other airport. airport. Have these people not flown to I, any other airport? Because they know wanna, how it works. I want to – it's just mm-hmm. – because, again, at that – if anybody's a, if anybody's never flown into the old MCI, you can sit in there and park there all day right by the yeah. the exit because it was three it was this weird three terminal setup. Now it just works like every other airport, and we all just seem to be completely flummoxed by it. Right, 
And it's like people don't know how to handle no. it. It's like, come no. on, people. No. Like, we and deal I want with them change to get, slowly here. I want them to get more aggressive. I want them to knock on doors. I want them <laughs> to yell at people and tell them to move. Because guess what? I have been at other airports, um, and I'm thinking West Coast and East Coast, where they don't mess around with that. Have like, you ever, they will yeah. yell at you. They'll ticket you. They'll yeah. force you to move. You, you ever been at Midway? Oh, where yeah. a cop comes up and takes his nightstick out and taps it on your door? Yes, I've move. seen that happen. Yeah. yeah it, we need to have that happen. Like, I'm t- no more Midwestern nice. Like, I agree. Get on these people because th- it's not sustainable. Like, it, you should not have to be backed up in a single file line Very of cars true. waiting 20 minutes to get to the loading zone. Let's end on the fact that the Midwest, we can be rude and nasty when we want to be. <laughs> we can. Yes, and we can. And this is an area with those folks. Somebody it's needs to get, this, they need to get nasty uh, yeah. with them. Well, that's our hour. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for listening to Two Men in the Middle. Make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our website at twomeninthemiddle.com. Drop us an email at twomeninthemiddle at gmail.com or tweet at us at Two Men in the Middle. We'll see you next week.